0: Lord, as we just prepare ourselves to um, hear your word, um, we do pray that prayer, Lord. Be glorified. Be glorified today in my life, in our lives. Lord, we are your church. We are your people. and We ask you and we pray that you will be glorified through us, Lord, through your church. Um, Lord, as Bill prepares to just share the word, to share um, the gospel with us, Lord, we really pray your blessing on him, that you would speak through his heart and through his mouth your word to us. And Lord, we pray for uh, that we each would have ears to hear and open hearts to receive and respond to your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thanks, Mark. So, what a week. <laughs> I mean, seriously, man, what a week. Now, just a reminder... Just a reminder that, you know, God doesn't just roll the dice. Did you know that? He doesn't just roll the dice. Nothing happens by chance, and there's no such thing as luck. Right? Okay. Uh, I think Scripture makes that abundantly clear. No such thing as luck. But, man, what a week. I mean, it was just a week. See, because the week started out, a week ago last Saturday, you see, we had the High Valley Christian Fellowship family meeting. That happened last week. And we got together, a whole big group of us, and we talked about the past year and, 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 and the economics of it, and we talked about the ministries that were going on here at the church, and then we talked about the future, even. And then we even talked about God's blessing for the new church, the well. Incredible just incredible. And then on Sunday, on Sunday what happened was we had the very first ordination of a pastor in the seven year history of this church. Quite a week. And then, and then our pastor pastor, our senior pastor, who off he went on vacation. <laughs> Jeez, thanks. Yeah, quite a week. Quite a week. Oh, there was Veterans Day. On Friday, we had Veterans Day. It's a great day, isn't it? Veterans. I see some. Honoring our veterans. So, it really was quite a week. It was. Huh? Oh, was there an election this week? That's right. There was an election this week. I almost forgot. Now... See, but wait a minute now. See, I've read some stuff on on what teachers and preachers should do. And there's a couple of things that are kind of taboo in the church. There's a couple of things. You know, um, politics and money. (laughs) Yeah, we can't talk about that, can we? But as long as that's what you were all thinking. What about it? about the political process that we just went through. Holy Toledo. Painful, really, in some ways, wasn't it? Ah. But what an outcome. What an outcome. See, we're just about to witness a changing of the guard. Huh. But that happens every four to eight years anyway, doesn't it? Hmm. So, depending on which side of the political spectrum you're on here today, you're either really happy or not so much. Hmm. You see, this whole political process really, for me, is reminiscent of the first church. You see, because the ruling religious people, they were the religious and political class of the day, They came up against a church like this. Hmm. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? You see, because the followers of Jesus really had something to say. And the political rulers and the religious leaders didn't like it. See, that's what we're studying right now in the book of Acts on Wednesday nights. And the parallels to our current political situation in this country are like they're fascinating. You see, because one side in this clash in the first century had truth. And then the other side had power, money, and cell phones. No, they didn't. Um, they didn't have... <laughs> there were no cell phones in the first century. But see, now, in this country, see, truth versus power money, authority. Now all of a sudden the clash here is between political ideologies where the two sides really are battling for power, money, and authority. It's kind of interesting the parallel, isn't it? Isn't it amazing? Some things just don't change. They just don't change. But there is one really big difference in the first and the 21st century The church has one thing in common that is foundation, absolutely foundational to our faith, and that is the absolute truth that Jesus Christ is Lord. Amen? See, that's the good news of the gospel, and that gospel will always prevail, no matter whose cell phone is ringing. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. So, from the perspective of the church, church, you see, we just move forward, don't we? Let's just move forward regardless of the opposition, regardless if it's secular, if it's political, or if it's religious, Jesus Christ is still Lord. Amen? We've been looking at transformation for, it seems like a really long time. Pastor Richie's been preaching on this transformation message, which is really a good message because it's quite broad, isn't it? But he's been teaching on it from a perspective of Romans 12.1, a renewing your mind's point of view. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. We've read that multiple times over the last few months. And I hope, I hope and pray that you've been seeking the Lord. Seeking the Lord and putting into practice the things in your life that will glorify God as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to Him. I hope that's what you've been doing. Because you see, one way to do that, one way to do that is through stewardship. Stewardship? Yeah, stewardship. So the question is, what does stewardship look like in your life? Hmm. You see, because unfortunately, I think a lot of Christians really today associate this whole idea of stewardship with sermons or messages that they've heard exclusively related to finances or church budgets or building programs in the church. But the truth of biblical stewardship is it's about something much broader and deeper than that. So I want to take a look at, at four important principles about biblical stewardship. And a biblical principle, of course, is a fundamental biblical truth that is found throughout the scriptures and rooted in absolute truth. The biblical truth is absolute truth. But first, we have to understand what stewardship even means. In the Old Testament, the original language, the word stewardship, this is really interesting, the word stewardship meant the administration of or management of household affairs. Isn't that interesting? I don't think the people in the Old Testament as even living in houses. Isn't it in tents? I don't know. But what I do know is that's what the word meant in the original language. The administration or management of household affairs. But in the New Testament, in the Greek, the word for stewardship is oikonomia. That was great. Steve, can you stand up and say that again, please? (laughs) Oh, yeah. Very close. Oikonomia, which means exactly the same thing as the Old Testament original language, except they expanded it in the Greek, because Greek is a more flowery language, isn't it? They expanded in the Greek to include the term overseer, finance officer, or manager of provisions. So what we see in this word picture of the definition of a steward is a steward, biblically, is one that is involved in the management overseeing of God's provisions in their household. Overseeing or managing God's provision. So the first principle of biblical stewardship that I want to talk about this morning is the principle of ownership. We get that, don't we? If you have your Bibles, which I hope you do, and if you don't, you should. And if you do, turn it to Psalm 24. Psalm 24. We read out of the Psalms this morning, some Psalms we know who wrote them, some we're not quite sure, but I know that this one, the psalmist begins the 24th Psalm, if you were there, with this, Psalm 24. The earth earth is the Lord's and everything in it. So there you have it. Pretty straightforward, isn't it? The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. After all, that makes sense since the very first five words in the Bible say, in the beginning God created. It goes on to say that he created everything. But if you look at the earth is the Lord's and everything in it and tie that into the very first words that are in God's word to us, that he is the creator of everything, it starts to make sense. But the psalmist doesn't stop there. Because then what he says next, the world and all who live in it. So the entirety of the psalm as you're reading it there is, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. Ownership. You see, this is the fundamental principle of biblical stewardship. Plain and simple, God owns everything. So, according to the biblical definition of stewardship, we simply are overseers and managers, and we're acting on his behalf as the owner. Now, this gives some of you heartburn right here, right now. I know it does. I know it does. Because the truth is, for years, you've been told that the American dream is all about working hard for your stuff and your money. Huh? I mean, yeah, man, it's all about the money, isn't it? How much do I got? Now, there's nothing wrong with money. In fact, having enough of it helps you at the end of the month when you've got to balance your checkbook, doesn't it? It's always nice to have a little left over. But we're also told that the smarter you are, the harder you work, the more competitive you are, the more stuff you can accumulate. Whoever dies with the most toys wins. you seen that one, haven't you? The problem with this whole idea, and you, I'm sure you've heard this one before, the problem with the whole idea is, is that you've never seen a hearse pulling you all. It just doesn't happen. So whether you're dead or alive, Psalm 24 clearly says that it's not your stuff and it's not your money. And that just flies in the face of the world that says it's all about you. And it's all yours. You worked so hard for it. And you can do what you want with it, can't you? No. Actually, the Bible says no. Not according to biblical truth. And some of you right now are starting to even tense up. Because you still think it's yours. But it's not. The hair on the back of your neck is going like this and sticking up. You're even gritting your teeth. Why? Because the last time you looked at your checkbook, it had your name on it. It was right there on the top. And then you look further down at the bottom of the checks, and it had your account number on it. And it's written right on a piece of paper that has your bank on it. You probably even have credit cards. One or more. Maybe they're maxed out. Ooh. Get a soft spot there. But come on now. It's not ours. It belongs to God. Turn to Deuteronomy chapter 8. I love this. In preparing for the message this morning, I was looking at Deuteronomy eight seventeen and 18. That's where we're going. And it reminded me of an exchange between Barack Obama and Mitt Romney when they were running against each other for president back in 2012. That was four years ago. remember that? Four years ago, Barack Obama and Mitt Romney running against one another for president. and I'm thinking about it after reading Deuteronomy 8. that oh, job. But check it out. Deuteronomy 8:17 says this. You may say to yourself, my power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. Now, President Obama made a statement about Mitt Romney's business and his wealth, which he has quite a bit of. And President Obama said this, you didn't build that. Anybody remember that comment that he made? You didn't build that. Clearly referring to Mitt Romney's business and his financial position, of which he has no problems balancing his checkbook, I'm sure. But what President Obama actually said in context was this. Listen. If you were successful, somebody along the line gave you some help. There was a great teacher somewhere in your life. Probably true. Then he went on to say, Somebody helped to create this unbelievable American system that we have that allowed you to thrive. Yeah, probably true. Then he said, Somebody invested in roads and bridges. Aha! Here it comes. You ready? Somebody invested in roads and bridges, and then President Obama said, If you've got a business, you didn't build that. Somebody else made that happen. The Internet didn't get invented on its own. Government research created the Internet, and all the companies could make money off of it. I'll tell you, the that you didn't build it comment didn't sit well with Mitt Romney or others. But look at what Deuteronomy 8, 18 counsels us to think. Verse 18, but remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth. So as it turns out, President Obama almost got it right. Because according to the first principle of biblical stewardship, ownership, you didn't build that. Even though Mr. Obama was almost right, he made one grave mistake, didn't he? Because what he did was he put the government in place of God, Deuteronomy 8.18. His position was that without the government and all fairness with other influential people in your life, he wouldn't have been financially successful. That's what Obama was trying to tell Mitt Romney. Now, I'm not here to bash the current president, and even the Lord knows we can have a field day referencing dumb things politicians say. I'm just simply making the biblical point. That the fundamental principle of biblical stewardship is ownership. In fact, one of the fundamental principles of all Christianity is that, what? We own nothing. God owns everything. We are simply stewards. The truth is, without God who gives you the ability to produce wealth, it wouldn't happen. It's, it's his to give to whomever he chooses. chooses. Jesus too, I suppose. Whether he gives it to Mitt Romney, whether he gives it to you, or whether he gives it to me. Now, as humbling as it sounds, frankly, we don't bring anything to the table. And that principle carries with it some pretty heavy implications. First, since God owns it all, including, here's a richism, including, take your finger, <laughs> including me, He holds the rights. See, God holds the rights that come with ownership. And ownership has its rights, regardless of your worldview. So if we believe the first sentence of the Bible, that in the beginning God created everything, we have to acknowledge that even we are not our own. Our very life and breath is given us by God. It's his. He's the creator. He has the absolute rights of ownership. Now, if you miss this truth, it's like getting up in the morning and starting your shirt buttoned in the wrong hole. And by the time you get all the way down to the end, it's still misaligned. Nothing will ever line up. You have to get that truth. God owns it all. The question is, do you believe that? You see, because that's where, the, that's where the seriousness of it comes, if you believe it. Because if you do, and you can look at this on your insert if you would like to, biblical stewardship and the biblical principle of ownership means that every decision we make should be according to his plan and his purpose. And catch this. And every decision we make is a spiritual decision if you're a child of God. You should write that down. Biblical stewardship and the biblical principle of ownership means that every decision we make should be according to His plan and His purpose and therefore every decision we make is a spiritual decision. you believe that? I hope so. You see, don't separate your life into compartments There is no compartmentalization. If you're a believer, there's one compartment. Just one. And that's the significance here of every decision we make being a spiritual decision. One compartment only as a believer. Since God made and therefore owns everything, and that means everything, He owns our time, our talents, our gifts, our abilities, our resources. He owns our very life. He owns it all. So it's clear that the biblical principle of ownership means that God has entrusted us with those gifts and abilities and resources. And where did they come from? He provided them. You didn't build that. That means we don't operate on the basis of ownership. That's what we need to get. I love Wes. Wes bought a Corvette. I'll never forget this as long as I live. He came to me for counsel. You know, I really want to buy this Corvette. It's great, it's nice, it's beautiful, it's white, it's clean, it's used. Do you think it's okay? Do you think it would be okay with God? Well, of course it's okay with God. Who owns it? And ever since that day, he says, I drive God's Corvette. (laughs) You see, if God has entrusted us, and he has provided us with all things, and he is the owner, you see, He has rights, but we operate out of responsibility. We don't operate out of ownership. God has rights, and we, church, have responsibilities. That's part of the diatheke relationship that we have in the Lord. Diathiki, remember that? Greater to the lesser? But we chase it, don't we? We chase stuff. (laughs) We chase money because it's hard sometimes. Because at the end of the day, I don't know about you, I mean, I got to pay the rent or I got to pay the mortgage and I got a car payment and I got bills and I got this and I got that, and it takes money and there's nothing wrong with money. As long as you understand whose it is. God has rights and we have responsibilities. So, the second principle of biblical stewardship is the principle of responsibility. So what are your responsibilities? Uh-oh. <laughs> you mean I don't own it? No, you don't own it. You mean I have no rights of ownership? Mm, no, I don't care what it says on the title of your car, Wes. It's not yours, brother. It doesn't belong to you. Who's responsible for it, though? You are. Turn to First Timothy 6.17, if you would like to. First Timothy, 1 Timothy 6:17. I'm going to read this out of the New Living Translation because I just happen to like it. First Timothy 6:17. Under the area of the principle of responsibility, the biblical principle of responsibility, verse 17, First Timothy 6. Teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud and not to trust in their money, which is so unreliable. Don't you love that? Money is unreliable. Amen to that. Anybody have a 401k in 2008 that in one day was was worth less than half of of its value than the day before? And I'm still trying to recover from that one. It's very unreliable. Then he goes on to say, their trust should be in God who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. So even though God gives us all things to richly enjoy, according to 1 Timothy 6.17, nothing is ours. He gives it to us to enjoy, but nothing belongs to us. Everything is owned by him, and I'm hoping that that is really abundantly clear, biblically, now. So you can leave today understanding that I don't own squat. <laughs> Nothing. However, whatever God blesses you with to richly enjoy, we are responsible for how we treat it and what we do with it, right? Because we complain a lot, don't we? Some people have the spiritual gift of complaining. Uh, We do that a lot. I love it. I used to think and have even said, I'm a taxpayer. I have rights. No, you don't. You see, but the Bible constantly asks us a very different question. The question is, What about your responsibilities? Because I think we think a lot like we're owners, but we're not. We're stewards. And if you're a steward, you have responsibilities. And our culture constantly flips that one. We're relentlessly bombarded with what our rights are. It seems today every single group, subgroup, fraction of a subgroup, comes up with some kind of a right that they're entitled to. They have the no rights. If you're a believer, you have responsibilities. So let me help you with some of those. These are biblical truths regarding the responsibilities that we have as believers. But I want you to think about being a steward. Being a steward. 1 Corinthians 10.31 if you want to turn there. Biblical truths regarding these responsibilities that we have as believers. 1 Corinthians 10.31. Here's the first one. It says, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. And if you like that one, Colossians, you don't have to turn there. Colossians 3.17 says, and whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God, the Father through him. You see, glorifying the Lord in that verse, First Corinthians ten thirty one, literally means literally means to make him look good and to honor and exalt him. Thought about that? Have you ever thought that one of your primary responsibilities is to glorify God? which means to make him look good. (laughs) What? (laughs) That seems kind of backwards, almost, doesn't it? No. See, we simply do this by overseeing and managing what he's entrusted to our care. And it's with his best interest in mind. I didn't even get a reaction to that. It's with his best interest in mind. His best interest? We're glorifying God as stewards, and it's in God's best interest? Yeah. So now, if you're still awake, see? Okay, sure. If you're still awake, you're probably thinking, but I thought God had my best interest in mind. Well, actually, he does. But, but. here's the biblical but. Wednesday nighters know that I love biblical therefores and buts. Here's the but. But when you understand that by the renewing, listen, that by the renewing of your mind, as a steward, your primary responsibility is to glorify God. And we do that in everything we do. And everything in the Greek means, you guessed it, everything. And when you understand that this, I'm telling you, you've got to understand that that is our spiritual act of worship because you've decided obediently to offer yourself as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. And when stewardship is understood in the view of God's mercy in your life, oh man, I'm telling you, now you're really going to embrace the fullness of Romans 12, 1 and 2 that we've read week after week here and says this. From a stewardship point of view, listen. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. Now, maybe you never saw this before. Of first. Maybe you never saw stewardship like this before. Offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. That's a stewardship issue. Amen? Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world. That's a stewardship issue. If you were thinking that stewardship was about money, don't think that. It's part of it. But Romans 12one and 2 has stewardship written all over it. But we've got to be specific about some of these responsibilities we have because I'll tell you one of the problems in the church today that I see is that we come to church and we hear a message or we go to a Bible study and we get the theory and it goes whoop in here and it never goes here. We walk out the door and it's all theory. But you see, our responsibility is not theory, it's practice. Without the practice, who needs the theory? First Timothy 5.8 But if anyone does not provide for his own and especially for those in his household, he has de- denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. See, now we're getting real specific and real practical and real uncomfortable. Because where does stewardship start according to 1 Timothy 5.8? But if anyone does not provide for his own, and especially for those of his household, it starts at home. Our responsibility to the glory of God starts at home. It isn't here. The church has gathered at the church, but you are the church at home. You see, provide for your own, he says. And that word, by the way, own, you know what that means? Huh? Own? Hmm. Yeah, see, it's a familial word. See, we're supposed to provide for our own, our relatives, and those members in our household. I find it fascinating that we walk around here in church biblically, biblically correct, and we call each other brothers and sisters. Ah! And First Timothy says that, hey, you've got to provide for your own. Your relatives. Stewardship starts at home that's our responsibility and it's a priority but notice that okay, the apostle paul here presents this in the negative i love that he says but if anyone does not provide see because it's not a command hmm. you mean our responsibilities aren't necessarily commands yeah but they're also not optional oh but this is thought provoking because the implication is, is that you, if you are not stewarding your family, if you're not stewarding at your home, if you are not a steward of God's resources starting at your home, he says that your faith is even in question, at least as far as stewardship is concerned. And then he compares you to an unbeliever. Holy Toledo. Serious? All of a sudden our responsibilities become pretty serious, don't they? Not burdensome, it's just serious. And important. Now turn to Malachi 3.10. Who knows where Malachi is? Uh-oh. I love You know what's fun about being on this side? Um, I don't normally get to be on this side. And praise God for that. But I love it because um you ever do this? And the pastor says, turn to Zephaniah, chapter 6. And I'm thinking, hey, where is that? Where is it? Hmm, especially in the Old Testament. But here's what I know about Malachi. I'm pretty sure it's the last book in the Old Testament. Is it? Okay, I got that right. And I know it's right after some of those minor prophets. You know, the ones that are hard to pronounce? I don't know. Anyway, the Z prophets and all those kind of guys? That's where it is. Listen to what it says. This is a responsibility issue. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. Aha! We have a specific responsibility to the church. Do you see it? Tithing. You knew it was coming, didn't you? You knew it was coming. First He's going to talk about politics. And now he's going to talk about money. (laughs) Mildred, hold on to your purse, Mildred.
1: He's about to get your checkbook.
0: Relax, man. We're just simply looking at the truth of God's Word here as it relates to your stewardship of His provision. That's all we're doing. The context of Malachi is simply that honoring and glorifying God with the whole tithe Comes with a clear blessing. Maybe we'll expand on that sometime. Hmm. And speaking of whole tithe, the whole of 2 Corinthians chapter 9, you can make a note of this, it's not in your bulletin, but the whole of 2 Corinthians chapter 9 tells us about our responsibility to be generous, not out of compulsion or reluctantly, but joyfully. Why? It says because God loves a cheerful giver. We've heard it a hundred times. But now you know, you see who it belongs to. It's his anyway. And what about Romans 13, 1 and 2? You can turn there if you want to. And let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, for there is the what? John, did you hear that? I know John, I love this man the hair is standing up on the back of his neck because scripture says let everyone be subject to the governing authorities now that is a timely message for there is no authority except that which God has established oh now I get it the authorities that exist have been established by God consequently whoever rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted and those who do so will bring judgment on themselves I love the context so we have a responsibility to the government, church. I don't know if you watched the news in the last few nights, but somebody needs to go run to Portland and tell them that. Seriously, we have a responsibility to the governing authorities because it was instituted by God. Whether you're on the right or the left spectrum of that. Hmm. So there you have it: money and politics. Back to that, right here in the church. You thought it was Abu. But what about but what about First Corinthians six? If you're in Romans, you're close to First Corinthians. You might want to turn there. First Corinthians six, nineteen and twenty. Verse nineteen says this Do you know Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? That's a great question. You are not your own. That's a great truth. And verse 20. You were bought with a price, therefore honor God with your bodies. You see, you have a responsibility of stewardship over your body. Because you were given and owned by God. You belong to God. It goes deeper than that. Proverbs 4.23, you're responsible as stewards of your soul. Isn't that God's work? Isn't that what he gets paid for? Isn't he the steward of your soul? Not according to Proverbs 4.23. It says, above all else, guard your heart and everything you do. You see, because everything you do flows from your heart. It says, who's to guard your heart? Guard your heart. Yeah, that's a responsibility that we have. And what about your spirit? Isn't that God's providence as well? No, Ephesians 6.10 says, Finally be strong in the Lord and His mighty power. And if you don't like that one, check out Galatians 5.25. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. We are responsible to be good stewards with our home, with our relationships. Uh-oh. The relationship piece gets a little fuzzy, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah, you have a responsibility to be a steward of your home, your relationships, your church, the government, your body, your soul, your spirit, and your whole life. Is that enough responsibility? Is this a heavy message? Huh? Not Really? But you see, we approach it that way. It's light. The message is light because you see, God owns it all. Doesn't that take the pressure off? I think it does. The third principle of biblical stewardship is accountability. This is the one we don't like. You see, because it's been pretty clear now that one who is a steward is one who manages the provisions and possessions of another. So, we're all stewards of those resources of God and the opportunities that he presents to us. Amen? So, the biblical principle of, of accountability is simply that one day, you know this, one day each one of us is going to be called to account for what we have managed based on what the Master has given us to oversee. Hmm. It's pretty simple, really. Really? God has entrusted authority over the creation to us, but we just can't rule it any old way we want to. See, our calling and our responsibility is to exercise our dominion under his watchful eye, right? While managing what he has given us. Based on the principles that he's established, we don't get to make the rules. That's what Diathiki is all about. Like the servants in the parable of the talents of Matthew 25, you can read that. You should read that. Most of you know the story. See, we're going to give an account of how we have overseen everything that God has given us. The principle of accountability is probably the easiest biblical principle to grasp, but it's probably the most commonly misunderstood in the church. Simply put, we'll all stand before the judgment seat of Christ and we'll be held to account for what we did with what he gave us. That's it. Simple, isn't it? This stuff. It's not your stuff. It's not my stuff. It's not my pet Is it? No, oh, it's God's Corvette. It's fine, Wes, that the Corvette's in your garage, clean, under the cover, and that you baby it. And that, that you wax it 17 times a year. It's fine. <laughs> you just don't own it. You see, because we're not going to stand in front of the Lord and be held uh, to account and answer for our sin. But see, that's what the church gets messed up. How many people have you talked to that are scared to death because they think that we are going to sit before Christ one day, or stand, as the Bible says, and be held account for all, all the sin? There's not enough time. I mean, I'm not speaking for you. I'm just, you know, speaking for me. But we're, we're going to be held accountable, really, for what God gave us. That's it. But it's still pretty serious business. Because we're held accountable to God. But that's not all we're held accountable to, you see, because there's an accountability in the church, too. Did you hear that? I didn't say to the church. I said in the church. You see, because accountability is important for all of us. Don't you hate these messages where you got to walk out of here and say, no, 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 no. you've heard it from right here before, not me, Richie, you know? We don't like it when people are in our business, we don't like that. And yet, what God tells us is that He wants to be in our business and He wants us to be in each other's business. Because how are we going to grow in transformation and sanctification if we're not in each other's business? Hmm. See, that's part of the whole Great Commission about making disciples, which is what we are. Making disciples... We always think about others, don't we? Who's a disciple? Ah, oh, one hand. Who's a disciple? Two hands. Three, four. Come on, who's a disciple? Alright. Thank you. You see, we're to make disciples and to teach them to obey everything I have commanded you. <laughs> That's accountability. The last principle is the principle of reward, and that's the one that we like the most because in Colossians 3.23, the Apostle Paul writes this, Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart. makes sense, doesn't it? Of course we want to work at it with all of our heart. As working for the Lord. Not for human masters. Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. Because it is the Lord Jesus Christ you are serving. He's not talking about church leaders here. He's talking about disciples. So the Bible clearly shows us in the parables of the kingdom of God that faithful stewards can expect a reward. Did you know that? Did you know you're going to get a reward? Did you know that as you work for the Lord in everything you do, In the here and the now, there is reward. There's even reward in the here and now. Now, it's imperfect in the here and the now, but it is fully complete where we're going. As Christians in the 21st century, I think we need to embrace the biblical view of stewardship, which goes so far beyond tithing, church budgets, church building projects. Nothing wrong with those. But stewardship is so much more, isn't it? We need to be faithful stewards of all God has given us. Within the opportunities that He presents to us. To glorify Him. Which is our purpose. you get that? Our purpose in stewardship starts with glorifying God in everything. And to further his kingdom on earth until he comes. Stewardship takes on a little different meaning than my checkbook or my wallet all of a sudden. But before you think it's all about work, it's not all about work. And this is the other place where many in our culture get it wrong. Because they think that it's just too simple that we could just simply come to Jesus Christ on his terms for salvation. They think you have to work for it. No. No. The work comes simply as a response to and out of obedience to what Jesus has already done for you. Amen? Amen? If you haven't done that, that being just resting and putting your faith in Christ alone, trust me, biblically, it's that simple. Just put your faith in Jesus Christ. Finish with this: Revelation twenty-two twelve speaks about stewardship. It starts in the first five words of the Old Testament and in Revelation 22 12. It tells us that stewardship has eternal benefits. That the Lord Jesus himself guarantees. Listen to what he said. Jesus said Revelation 22 12. Behold I am coming soon. My reward is with me. And I will give to everyone, everyone, according to what He has done. And that is stewardship. Amen? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we're going to prepare ourselves for communion, Lord. And I'm going to ask Happy to come up and lead us into communion as a practical manifestation, God, of our responsibility, just responding to you, God, as stewards over our lives, Lord as stewards over everything that you have given us, which is everything. Including our life and our breath. Kathy's going to come up. And as an act of worship, we are going to take communion together. So thank you, Jesus, for who you are. Thank you, God, for your word. Thank you for the truth. Thank you, God, that in some areas you make it clear and where it's not, you allow us to struggle through it, Pat. And so, Lord, now we just want to be made available to be led into the communion meal in Jesus' name.